Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the older brother of Matt, and Matt is here as well. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about the most recent episode of his YouTube channel, which is Exploring Tesla Powerwall and Home Batteries. Worth it? This came out on September 8th, 2020. So you currently have your power wall powering the floor of your garage. Yes, my my the floor of my garage is like supercharged. Everybody should be jealous of my garage floor. That's what's right. the, that's the truth. Does it glow like a neon glow at night when you turn off all the lights underneath your garage door? You can see a whoom, whoom. <laughs> it gives off nice warmth. <laughs> yeah. People drive by. That looks like a power wall. <laughs> More like a power floor, am I right? Yeah. So your discussion from a impact on your monthly power bill to various rebates that may be available. One of the things that I noticed in the conversation in your comments was brought up by user willing to go one. I am pretty sure I got that name correct. <laughs> but I can't help but think... Willing to go one what? <laughs> Willing to go one wrote, I live in California. I've twice tried to get advertised rebates for purchasing efficient appliances. No deal. While the utilities were still advertising the re rebates, they told us, sorry, but we've spent all the funds from this program. I've met a hmm. few people who were similarly lied to. I've yet to meet anyone who actually got the rebates. People who installed solar power systems in the 1990s found that as the numbers of houses with solar panels increased, the utilities started to arbitrarily cut what they were willing to pay for power they captured from your panels. He goes on from there to give more details about things he's tried and what he would be willing to pay for. He does want a power wall. This is right. not right. a complaint from a perspective of power walls are garbage and you're an idiot. It is roughly saying... You've laid out a lot of really great rebate options, but the reality on the ground is that there may be something going on at the utility companies that doesn't match the rhetoric of the advertised deals. Is this something that you've heard about in the past? Is this something that, that the industry is aware of? Yes, it's, it's stuff I've heard about in the past. And then I got a, you know, the, there was a th thread of this through a lot of comments. Um, I even had people reach out to me outside of the comments telling me their stories about their experience trying to get some of these rebates and like the SGIP program in California being tapped and out of money and not sure, not sure when or if more money was going to come into the system. The big disconnect that's that I've seen is that there seems to be a disconnect between the utilities and then the policies from the government agencies. So the utilities sometimes go kicking and screaming into these because they see a loss of potential revenue. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a conflict of incentives to participate in these programs. Mm -hmm. um, like in my area, the connected solutions program was created by the utilities because right. they were trying to take the leadership role so that they wouldn't be mandated by, you know, the States of do this or, you know, or else they thought, well, we'll do it on our own. We're just going to do our own program. Um, so they're all in on connected solutions, but the new stuff that's coming through like this, uh, the peak 
utility thing that's just passed in Massachusetts, there's some hesitation from some of the utilities because they don't necessarily like the way some of it was crafted because some of it's going to hurt their bottom line. So I think that's the conflict that we're seeing at like, like what he highlighted is Mm -hmm. that the utilities were the ones that were arbitrarily changing things and trying to find ways to kind of weasel their way out of having to do it. So it's, I think it's more of a policymakers need to do a better job of making sure that they're creating programs that really not just incentivize it for the end user, but also incentivize things for the utility and also make sure that the utilities, there's ramifications if they're not implementing it correctly. I think that's where most of the problem lies. Policies like this would be crafted. There's no way the utility companies were not involved in the crafting of these policies. I can tell you from my understanding yes. of how policies like this are put together. I well, have they some, got lobbyists that are working I've got, to get yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I've got I've got work-based experience of of what can go on when stuff like this is being crafted. Just today I saw a headline that there's a I believe it was a three billion dollar pipeline deal signed between Uganda and Tanzania. And because in the past, I think it's going now ten years or so. Eastern Africa uh-huh. has discovered oil repositories that they didn't know that they had. And it's probably, um, I think it's very likely the result of more advanced drilling operations that allowed them to go deeper. Right. To tap into reserves that nobody knew existed. And so obviously this is revenue that these countries want to take advantage of. And for the past decade or so, they've been putting together these sorts of deals trying to figure out like how do you do all of this and the biggest part that is missing from most of the policy discussion is the impact on the little guy local communities what sort of benefit will they get from uh the the revenue that comes out of an oil industry and a power industry so when it comes to this sort of policy being put together there's no way the utility companies were not involved in the discussion. And I would not be surprised if the utility companies were the main source for the cap on the amount of money that went into it. That wouldn't surprise me at all. It, it would give them the ability to say to a consumer, oh, that money's gone because it was set at such a low level. So that's very frustrating. I wonder, and I don't know that you know this, but I wonder if what is happening in your environment where it's the power companies that have crafted this different model of encouragement. You mentioned in your video that the reason for it was because they saw an opportunity to save money. Yeah. I wonder if this is the difference between one mindset that says we can't let our income drop and another one that says if our income drops but our costs drop deeper, then our profits go up. Yes. Yeah, that, that to me is what I see in the connected solutions thing that they set up because it's saving them such immense amounts of money because the way the pricing works is that they take the peak day or hour from the year and that determines like the wholesale price value. It's something along those lines. And so by doing this virtual power plant system, it allows them to adjust what that ends up being and they can save it's 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 a weird system because it's not like the virtual power plant system is like powering the grid for you know six hours it's 
it's peak shaving and it's helping because they're doing it that way. It's helping them save costs at the most opportune times that they can shave off hundreds of millions of dollars right. in savings. It's like, is, it makes perfect. It's like the bean counters at the utilities are like, well, if we did this, we'll save immense amounts of money. It's right. like, let's do it. Right. So that makes perfect sense. Yes. Paradigm shifts like this, because we're talking about a major paradigm shift away from harmful carbon impact power production and hopefully moving toward more of a um, environmentally friendly or zero impact uh, goal. And I can't help but wonder if that evolution for power companies is one where they become more of the manager of the grid as opposed to the source of power within the grid. They, they could That could be where this is heading. And I by using the word carbon, you just triggered, I think, a lot of people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you're right. The comment from Will, he reached out to take advantage of a, re, of a rebate opportunity and was told none of this is left. It makes me wonder about something that I know you've experienced. He wasn't being told no because of a limitation on availability of the home battery. He was being told no on the availability of the rebate. Correct. That did make me wonder, and I know you had been on a waiting list to get your power wall. I wonder about the supply side of all of this. How is that impacting programs like this? I think it is impacting programs like this because specifically with the power wall, it's been on back order for a long time. And like, if you wanted to get one today, you can't. You're going to be on a waiting list for probably at least six months before you'd actually get it, if not longer, um, which is a huge problem. But that's Powerwall specifically. I don't think there's those long delays on like the Sonan Eco and some of these other ones. So if you're not beholden to a specific brand and you're willing to shop around and see what's available, you could probably get one pretty quickly. Um, so in one hand, on one hand, I don't think there is a supply constraint for the amount of demand that there currently is. And part of the reason for that is that since they're so expensive right now and they're you have to be a homeowner, I think it's kind of limited the audience that's willing to jump in at the moment because mm-hmm. the prices still have to come down. They're still too expensive. That was actually one of the comments that jumped out at me. Just one line from one of your viewers, which said, I can't even imagine owning a home. I didn't bring this up in this video. For battery backup, you technically don't need to own a home because I didn't I didn't know this. I learned this recently. I actually learned it through Ricky, who does the YouTube channel uh, 2-Bit Da Vinci. He actually did a review of a, ba- a home battery backup product. It's not as big as the Powerwall. I think it was only like three or four kilowatt hours compared to like a Powerwall, which is 13. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a just a big cylinder that's maybe like three feet high or so. It's a battery backup system that you literally can just plug into any outlet in your home. Mm-hmm. And this is why I didn't know is that the outlets in your home are are two ways. Right. Electricity can flow into it as well as out. So for a battery backup to work, you can just plug it into an, an outlet. Right. And then you could you could theoretically get backup for whatever you want on that circuit or whatever you plug into that device and like you can it's, I don't know. My mind was blown when I realized this because that is the solution for people who have condos, apartments that don't own their homes. Maybe they rent a house. They don't own a house. It's like there's a way to do it. But the problem is that in the United States, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of areas, there are regulations that 
don't let you do that because mm. it's considered unsafe and they want if you're going to do something like that it has to be a dedicated circuit and there's r- laws requiring that if you have battery backup systems like this that put ba- energy into the house um you have to have them basically hardwired directly into a circuit on its own um mm. so it's it's safety reasons why those are in place mm. but it feels like you could expand on those and say maybe it has to be a dedicated outlet and circuit but doesn't have to be hardwired so mm like putting in a 1450 outlet for your EV. It's like, what, why couldn't you have a 1450 outlet that's somewhere in your home that you could just plug a battery into and Bob's your uncle, you're done. Right. It's like that to me, it's like, I don't know. It's, it seems like there's an opportunity for renters and condo owners and all that kind of stuff that would just open this wide up, wide open, but it's a regulatory changes that have to happen for that to to, to, to take apart. Yeah, and the advantage to, I'm thinking about my circumstance here in Brooklyn, New York, where the at the beginning of the summer, the electric utility was sending out emails and letters to customers saying, get ready for brownouts. Yes. And yeah. if you had the ability to have even just a couple of hours of backup power, where if your power did dip and your rented apartment could have something that would kick in to make sure that your refrigerator stayed cold um well there's there's an incentive for utilities to go the virtual power plant route too because if you're going to build a megapack system like the hornsdale uh power reserve in australia you're going to build something like that you're talking about all the red tape and the you have to get the property you have to get all these you know licenses Mm -hmm. it involves cities and states and regulatory processes to get the land and to build the whole system out it's it's there's a lot of red tape where when you do a virtual power plant system, that's the utility basically avoiding all of that because right. then it's the homeowner that's taking on the responsibility of getting the battery installed, doing all that stuff. And then the utility can just lean into that and just take advantage of it through the existing system. So it's less upfront cost, less red tape. You can roll it out quickly. You would think that they would be trying to find ways to get more people to put batteries in their homes because it's going to be easier for them in the long run. Right. So, it, it, I don't know. When I think about it, it's like, why are they not? <laughs> why are they not doing this right. at like light speed? I just don't understand. And that kind of ties into the question of why is there not a national program? I say that knowing why there's not a national program. <laughs> you, you know the answer to this. But what would be, (laughs) just off the top of your head, a couple of reasons, maybe three reasons why a national program would be better than what we currently have? Well, national program would be better because it's, it would create a standard no matter where you are. And once you have that standard established at such a large scale, it makes it easier to roll out. It makes it easier for manufacturers to build things to spec and to make sure things are lined up properly. I mean, think about cars are built to specs for on the national level yes states like california have their own and they're so large all the car companies end up building to the california spec and it just trickles out across the country it's like we need something like that for the renewable energy market we need some kind of national standard because it will actually help the market grow faster and get adopted faster right that would be the big advantage and on the 
the level that it's currently working at, do you think that there is too much diversity of the way that the programs are being rolled out across the country for it to have wide scale impact? Or is it going to be something that we see only as regional impact? For example, you talk about Massachusetts and it's very progressive in the way that it's approaching these questions. And it's the industry itself there that is driving part of that. Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, it wasn't too long ago. Didn't Arizona have some sort of restriction against people owning Mm -hmm. their own solar panels? Yeah, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to quote exactly what it was, but yes, they had some kind of laws in place. <laughs> Basically, it heavily disincentivized getting solar right. in a state that, that is has built nothing but for sunshine. solar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and in your video, you talk about they may be the second state in the country to pass a law that will require a minimum amount of power to be from green sources. Mm hmm. Is that a 180 degree about face or is that something that the utility companies have? Is that restriction I, against owning a solar panel still in place and it's simply the power companies are going to be the ones who own all this stuff? I, I can't answer that completely. I don't, I don't know all the details. I'd have to look into it more, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's a 180. Because um, when you think about what this clean peak standard is, it's requiring... The ability to use renewable energy sources at times of peak power. And because of that, that means energy storage is a key aspect of that. And the the reason that's important is that states and governments and countries that went whole hog into wind and solar before having that kind of policy in place, they've flooded their electricity systems with too much solar or too much wind. Mm-hmm. And you end up in situations where it's called curtailment, where you have to basically turn off the turbines so they stop spinning because you're producing too much energy and you can't use it. Or shut down the power, the solar panel arrays because you can't use it. There's nowhere to put the power. So you're ending up wasting vast amount of energy potential because of that. And you also exacerbate what's called the duck curve, which is you generate crazy amounts of power in the middle of the day and then In the evening, it's waning down, but that's when you need the power because everybody's coming home and turning on their lights and cooking dinner. Right. Uh, So Clean Peak is designed to try to shift that hump in the middle of the day and shift it over into the evening. And states and countries that didn't do that have seen problems with prices increasing of their electricity. They've had trouble managing the systems because of this influx of renewable energy and it's often used as a <laughs> you know a straw man argument of see, see renewable doesn't energy work. doesn't work. Yeah. It's like no, that was because you had bad policies and bad incentives that caused a huge influx of investment into something when you didn't really think through all of the ramifications about how you did it. Right. Clean Peak is designed to try to avoid that. So I don't think it's Arizona doing a 180. I think it's Arizona actually doing the right thing now as in that they've they're like okay this is the kind of policy that will help us avoid the problem that hawaii had mm. it'll help us avoid the problem that some european countries have had so it's like i think it's i don't think it's a 180 but it's it's definitely a good sign that they're going down this path it's an evolution but it's not an correct. admission of oh we were wrong to refuse to do this correct they, they by doing it this way <laughs> even though i don't agree with how they did it 
they're probably going to end up in a far better place than if they had just like flooded the market with solar. So they're they're going to end up in a better place by waiting the way they did and implementing things the way they did. Mm-hmm. The last thing I wanted to bring up around this topic was as I was watching the video and I was reading the comments, I started the sci-fi writer brain was firing and I started thinking about weird weird possibilities of how some of this technology might be used. And I, I started thinking about things like you mentioned uh, things about environmental impact from storms and and the like, which cause impact into regions that could cause power outages. And I started thinking about, do you know of any sort of weird responses to those kinds of issues that have incorporated this kind of technology. I couldn't help but think, is any putting, putting together some, taking an, like an old cargo ship and just <laughs> decking it out with solar panels on the top and putting a bunch of these power wall batteries on the inside and having a mobile power station that they could literally take to a place like Puerto Rico and <laughs> after a storm, dock it, run cables ashore, and then there's running electricity. That. I have not heard of anything like that, but that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like there have to be things that can be done with the ability to store power in these. They're relatively small. Um, it just seemed like mobile could be an aspect that isn't really being utilized. I can imagine the military is probably using these in various ways or planning on using things like this in various ways to be able to quickly set up uh, stations and that would have power to be able to supply computers and stuff like that. But I started thinking about emergency relief, like the ability for, like I said, just, uh, an old cargo ship pulling into a port and then running a massive cable ashore. And then you've got electricity for a hospital. Well, in most cases th- today, those kind of mobile energy things are diesel generators that are used most often. Right. And not to tease my next video, but my video that's coming on Tuesday is about fuel cells and is there a future for fuel cells beyond cars? And uh, one of the key areas that I was reading into was fuel cells as basically power generators to replace diesel generators. So the example that you brought up is most likely going to be something like a fuel cell, a hydrogen fuel cell, because mm-hmm. you can feed an endless supply of hydrogen into it to keep it pumping 24 hours a day, where otherwise you'd have to make sure the solar panels are getting enough energy every day to recharge those batteries to give you a supply of power. So there may be inconsistency there in the power supply that would not be sustainable on its own. You'd have to have some kind of backup to the backup, like a a fuel cell. (laughs) So to quickly transition from the subject of the video to our usual, usual outro, which is what we are doing to keep ourselves from going mad during a mad era. I wanted to share a podcast that my girlfriend introduced me to. It's called Don't Ask Tig. It is a podcast featuring Tig Notaro, who is a brilliant stand-up comedian. Yes, she is absolutely genius. Um, She burst onto my radar many years ago when she had her I have cancer show and 
for anybody who's not aware of that, it was a show where she started to perform a stand-up routine in which she revealed that she had just recently been diagnosed with cancer. And this was after a long period of hospitalization for a different unrelated ailment and the death of her mother due to an accident. And it is a 30-minute um, stand-up routine, which is extremely courageous. It is one of the, the bravest things I've ever I've ever seen an artist do. And it is available as a, there's an audio version of it, which was the result of Louis C.K., who had re recorded it and then encouraged her to release it. Her podcast is a advice column podcast, people sending questions. And the entire point is, as she says in the very title of the podcast, don't ask Tig, don't ask me, I don't have good <laughs> advice for you. And it is her every week with various guests. So it's, let me pull up the website real quick so I can speak about this. She has had guests, uh, with her, one of her first guests was Will Ferrell. She's had Sarah Cooper, Nicole Byer, Ira Glass from This American Life. The most recent one that we listened to was with Sean Hayes of Will and Grace. Um, she brings these guests on, they small talk for a bit, and then they read and answer questions asking for advice. And the advice questions are very straightforward advice column questions. So it's mm -hmm. things like, I, I'm having trouble getting along with my in-laws and they don't pay attention to the rules I set up in my own home. What can I do? And then she and her guest will give advice. Um, one of my favorite bits of the podcast is that at the end, they will also read a question from an advice seeker from an old advice column. And they've used advice columns from the 1930s. Uh, they had one that was ostensibly from Betty Davis, who apparently had an advice column in <laughs> Vogue, I think it was. Really? Um, yes. And I had, no, I had no idea. Well, well, that one in particular, the advice was, I feel like, the, the question was basically, I feel like a plain Jane, I'm not an attractive person. And how do I change this about myself? And the advice from Betty Davis was, I was speaking with recently with an editor at the magazine who said there are these places that will teach young women about social grace and etiquette and how to dress. And they will talk to you as an individual and you send them a photo of yourself and they give you advice for your particular face type and body type and give you guidance along those, those lines. And after reading the advice that was given by Betty Davis, uh, this was with Ira Glass as the guest. And Ira Glass said, clearly what is going on here is Betty Davis is not writing these answers. It was an editor <laughs> at Vogue. And the editor at Vogue had the ability to say in Betty Davis's voice, I was speaking with this editor so that the editor could just give the advice. So it was probably something under Betty Davis's name probably a publicist and Vogue struck a deal of using her face and name attached to this thing, but it was uh -huh. not Betty Davis. Yeah. Um, but the, what's interesting is the advice when they are trying to give advice, they try to genuinely give good advice. 
they're just not mocking people. They are genuinely like, here's what I would do in your shoes. Right. And then they, they reveal some personal information like, you know, oh, I went through this with my spouse or my family did the same thing. Um, they had one recently, which was Tig revealed a relationship she had with her stepfather who for most of her career kept arguing that she needed to pick a different career. She shouldn't be a comedian. That was not going to work out. She needed to do something else. After the death of her mother, she said he, they were in the car together and he apologized for that and said he realized she was doing exactly what she needed to be doing and said it is not the role of the child to teach the parent who they are. It is the responsibility of the parent to learn who their child is. <laughs> and Sean Hayes was the guest and Sean Hayes immediately said, that is incredible. That's, inc that's an incredible like frame to keep in mind of the role of a parent and child. So there are some things that come out of this podcast that are actually very deep and, and moving and, and sort of truly useful to, right. as I heard that, I was like, that's something I need to keep in mind with my parenting, with my son. I need to not wait for him to show me who he is. I need to actually keep my eyes and ears open and, and let, and I should be the learner. He shouldn't be the teacher. So I, I recommend it for a number of reasons, everything from in these strange times that we're living through, it is kind of a mix of all those currents that we're living through. It is at times absurd and funny. It is also serious and trying to be helpful while also trying to say, if all we can do is make you smile, maybe that's enough right now. So I, awesome. I think it's, I think it's a really good podcast and it's relatively new. So it's only God, I think it's like eight episodes up to this point. So Sounds get really in good. now, get in now yeah. before it gets too expensive. <laughs> uh, on my side, there's just two things. One's really, really quick. Uh, the Dune trailer. Oh, <laughs> Uh, my, <laughs> my mind was melting out of my eyes and my ears and I was just like, oh, oh, yeah, I yeah. want this movie in my eye holes right now. Um, just really quickly, I am a huge fan of the David Lynch Dune film. Mm -hmm. I recognize it's a bad movie, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's a bad movie that tried so hard and had so much promise and did some things really well and completely botched others. I, I love. I have a, such a soft spot in my heart for for that movie, including the really bad dubbing of the little girl. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a quack. <laughs> no. But this movie is directed by the guy that did Arrival and did Blade Runner. What was it? Twenty forty six. Yeah, forty six. I love him as a filmmaker. He is so good at what he does mm -hmm. he tells science fiction stories that have a heart they have humanity they pull you in and make you care about the characters it's not just about the spectacle even though it has a ton of spectacle i have high hopes he's gonna nail nail this and i am so i can't wait and that trailer and the fact that jason momoa is playing duncan and he looks <laughs> awesome as Duncan, I was yeah. just every, every shot, the worms, it was just like every shot. I was like, oh, this looks so good. I want to see this right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the first thing. On the lighter side, 
uh, this is where it's like in this the state of the world that we're in right now. A lot of the pop culture that's out there has kind of a dour tone to it as well. And it's like <laughs> the breath of fresh air in the room for me is Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, I've been watching more and more episodes of that and it is becoming one of my favorite shows of all time. It is the dumbest present, uh, the dumbest uh, premise. But if you put that to the side, it does. It actually doesn't matter at all. It's like a, it's like a, a red herring or a MacGuffin. The the reason he's there coaching a soccer team in the UK as an American football coach is dumb. But that's not what the story's about. It's actually about a guy who is just this crazy optimist and a genius at understanding how to motivate people. And it is just so heart. The show is so heartwarming and so good. I just, I can't get enough of it. I want, I want this on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Cause it makes, <laughs> I feel so good about myself and the world and people and humanity. When I'm done watching a half hour episode, I just feel so good. And it's like, it's exactly what the world needs right now. The world needs more freaking Ted Lasso. It is such a great show. Mm. So if you haven't watched it, do yourself a favor and watch it. And if you don't have it, subscribe to Apple TV Plus and watch it and then cancel Apple TV Plus. <laughs> it's, it's really good. <laughs> Getting quick before it gets too expensive. Yes. That's our motto for today. <laughs> so let us know what you think. What do you all listening to, watching, and do you have batteries yet plugged into your garage floor? You can reach out to us at Twitter at still TBDFM. You can reach out to me directly at by Sean Farrell or Matt at Matt Farrell. He's also available at Undecided MF. Please be sure to watch for the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube. And you can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm. You can also subscribe to the podcast through providers like iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Please be sure to give us a rating, review, and share us with your friends. It really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew tries to help me but I fight him. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.